0: what's up? Thanks for joining me. I am reading from the second chapter of The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. If you have the green book with the white and red writing on the front, I am on page 19. The chapter is called The Longer Now and it's going to touch on the second insight. If you want to check the previous episode of my podcast, I went through a little bit of the first um, insight the first chapter so you can check that out if you're unfamiliar and if you have the book I'm going to start on page 18 and I'm gonna jump over to page 19 I actually I'm gonna just start on page 19 page 18 explains how the character is um, he has taken a flight to Peru not Peru. Where's he going? (laughs) (laughs) He's going somewhere. Yeah, Peru. And um, he has now met Wayne Dobson, an assistant professor of history from New York University. So I'm going to start at uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, about the seventh paragraph. Tell me what you heard concerning the first insight Dobson said. I paused for a moment, trying to sum up in my mind what I understood. I guess the first insight is an awareness of the mysterious occurrences that change one's life. The feeling that some other process is operating. I felt absurd as I said it. Dobson picked up on my discomfort. What do you think of that insight, he said. I don't know, I said. It doesn't quite fit with our modern day common sense, does it? Wouldn't you feel better dismissing the whole idea and getting back to thinking about practical matters? I laughed and nodded affirmatively. Well, that's everyone's tendency. Even though we occasionally have the clear insight that something more is going on in life, our habitual way of thinking is to consider such ideas unknowable and then to shrug off the awareness altogether. That's why the second insight is necessary once we see the historical background to our awareness it seems more valid i nodded then as a then as a historian you think the manuscript's prediction of a global transformation is accurate yes as a historian yes but you have to look at history in the correct way i'm gonna pause again because um this dude always repeating what people are saying man like he said <laughs> he said yes and then he's like as a historian you you began the question with then as a historian he anyway a little pet peeve when I was reading chapter one like he you know it's part of writing you're trying to create the story create the the mood and the flow and so it's a nod to what people do in a regular conversation but gosh it's just like get to the point anyway that's my little segue (laughs) that's my little segue okay bottom of page 19 going on to page 20 but you have to look at history in the correct way he took a deep breath believe me i say this as one who has spent a lot of years studying and teaching history in the wrong way I used to focus solely on the technological accomplishments of civilization and the great men who brought about this progress. Notice he said great men. Hmm. Anyway, what's wrong with that approach? Nothing as far as it goes. But what's really important is the worldview of each historical period, what the people were feeling and thinking. It took me a long time to understand that. History is supposed to provide a knowledge of the longer context within which our lives take place. History is not just the evolution of technology. It is the evolution of thought. By understanding the reality of the people who came who the people who came before us, we can see why we look at the world the way we do and what our contribution is toward further progress. We can pinpoint where we come in, so to speak in the longer development of civilization and that gives us a sense of where we are going okay um he paused then added the effect of the second insight is to provide exactly this kind of historical perspective at least from the point of view of western thought it places the manuscript's predictions in a longer context and makes them seem not only plausible but inevitable Jumping over a paragraph. Once I arrived in Peru, I met a couple of people who confirmed the manuscript's existence. Yet seemed scared to death to talk much about it. They said the government had gone a little loco and was making physical threats against anyone who had copies or dispersed information. The little loco—that terminology—that stood that out to be a little bit. That was a little off, but anyway, no judgment to the writer. <laughs> slight judgment sorry it doesn't seem natural for that character to say that so I'm pretty sure that's only because they're referencing Peru but I may be thinking too deeply about that which I often tend to do so it's fine Uh, bottom of page 20 his face turned serious that made me nervous but later a waiter at my hotel told me about a priest he knew who often spoke of the manuscript the waiter said that the waiter said the priest was trying to fight the government's effort to suppress the artifact. I couldn't resist going to a private dwelling where this priest supposedly spent most of his time. <laughs> I must have looked surprised because Dawson asked, "What's wrong?" "My friend," I replied, "the one who told me about the manuscript learned what she knew from our priest." He wouldn't give his name. And she talked with him about the first insight. She was scheduled to meet, up with, to meet with him again, but he never showed up. It must have been the same man, Dobson said, because I couldn't find him either. The house was locked up and looked deserted. Okay, we're going to stop there. Actually, no, we're going to continue and then stop right after this. Uh, so to read the last line, the house was locked up and looked deserted. You never saw him? No. But I decided to look around. There was an old storage building in the back that was open, and for some reason I decided to explore inside. Behind some trash under a loose board in the wall, I found translations of the first and second insights. He looked at me knowingly. You just happened to find them? I asked. Yes. Did you bring the insights with you on this trip? He shook his head. No. I decided to study them thoroughly and then leave them with some of my colleagues could you give me a summary of the second insight I asked there was a long pause then Dobson smiled and nodded I guess that's why we're here the second insight he said puts our current awareness into a longer historical perspective after all when the decade of the 90s is over we'll be finishing up not only the 20th century but a thousand year period of history as well we'll be completing the entire second millennium. Before we in the west can understand where we are and what is going to occur next, we must understand what has really been happening during this current thousand-year period. What does the manuscript say exactly? I asked. It says that at the close of the second millennium, that's now, we will be able to see that entire period of history as a whole and we will identify a particular preoccupation that developed during the later half of this millennium in what has been called the modern age. Our awareness of the coincidences today represents a kind of awakening from this preoccupation. What's the preoccupation? I asked. Top of age 22. He gave me a mischievous half-smile. Are you ready to relive the millennium? Sure. Tell me about it. It's not enough for me to tell you about it. Remember what I said before. To understand history, you must grasp how how your everyday view of the world developed, how it was created by the reality of the people who lived before you. It took a thousand years to evolve the modern way of looking at things and to really understand where you are today. You must take yourself back to the year 1000 and then move forward through the entire millennium experientially as though you actually lived through the whole period yourself for a single lifetime okay so i want to pause there um and i felt it necessary to mention that you know they're talking about history and actually knowing these stories not necessarily the events because i was listening to a comedy show in the car on a long drive and the comedian was talking about um why why are dates in history so important <laughs> it's like oh you mentioned a date like more than you mentioned what happened you know you mentioned it in a year more than you have the details on what actually took place during that particular event that was a f- that was so noteworthy i thought that was funny but anyway there's also a quote that says um, until until the lion writes his own stories the stories will be that of the hunter in essence i know i'm not saying it correctly maybe i can look it up very quickly but the um the the whole point of that was to show that the parade the story will always be that of like which story survives let me skip over that point like Which story survives history to be recorded and then also to be studied later on as an example of the thinking of that time period. And it's just interesting now, I guess, technically now we're providing a lot more information about how everybody is thinking individually as opposed to a certain collective in a certain place. And so it'll be interesting... To see, like in the next twenty or thirty years, with this overload of information, with this overload of ideas, and this overload of of um, perspectives, if that turns out to be actually a good thing, when people in a future time are looking back at this time as history. So I found the the real quote. There is that great proverb that until the lions have their own historians. The history of the hunt will always glorify the hunter that's the quote that I wanted to wanted to mention during our part so it's interesting that the the characters taking this much time to detail the fact that history is so important and so necessary to know and doesn't mention how biased (laughs) the history that we need to know is or the history that exists is gonna take a sip break Mm -mm -mm -mm. okay let's look at the bottom of page 22. visualize this he continued you find yourself in the class of your father essentially peasant or aristocrat and you know that you will always be confined to this class but regardless of which class you're in or the particular work that you do you soon realize that social position is secondary to the spiritual reality of life as defined by the churchmen. life is about passing a spiritual test you discover The churchman explained that God has placed mankind at the center of his universe, surrounded by the entire cosmos for one solitary purpose, to win or lose salvation. And in this trial, you must correctly choose between two opposing forces, the force of God and the lurking temptations of the devil. Okay, skipping over the paragraph, Dobson looked at me intensely. The manuscript says that the important thing to understand here is that every aspect of the medieval world is defined in otherworldly terms. All the phenomena of life, from the chance thunderstorm or earthquake to the success of crops or the death of a loved one, is either is defined either as the will of God or as the malice of the devil. There is no concept of weather or geological forces or horticulture or disease. All that comes later. For now, you completely believe the churchmen. The world you take for granted operates solely by spiritual means." He stopped talking and looked at me. Are you there? Yes, I can see that reality. Well imagine that reality now beginning to break down. What do you mean? The medieval worldview, your worldview, begins to fall apart in the 14th and 15th centuries. First, you notice certain improprieties on the part of the churchmen themselves secretly violating their vows of chastity, for example, or taking gratu- gratuities to look the other way when government officials violate scriptural laws. These improprieties alarm you because these churchmen hold themselves to be the only connection between yourself and God. Remember, they are only the interpret they are the only interpreters of the scriptures, the sole arbiter. What? Oh, the sole arbitrators of your salvation. <laughs> okay, yes. So on and so forth. There's a rebellion, etc., etc. Tremendous upheaval of basically all of that wonderful religion. So, the point that he was making with that is that you're seeing the collapse of what you consider to be what you are so sure of and just I don't know if it's each successive generation that believes themselves to be sure of something or if it's just a certain time period but for things to collapse and be so devastating in that way obviously people were sure about certain things at some point then became unsure about them but they found so much of who they are in being sure about that thing that when it falls apart it's actually it's unbearable Um, because so much of of, so much of who they claim to be was guaranteed by that that surety let's go to page 27 second paragraph second insight extends our consciousness of historical time he said, he added it shows us how to observe culture not just from the perspective of our own lifetimes but from the perspective of a whole millennia it reveals our preoccupation to us and so lifts us above it you have just experienced this longer history you now live in a longer now When you look at the human world now, you should be able to clearly see this obsessiveness and intense preoccupation with economic progress. But what's wrong with that? I protested. It's what made Western civilization great. He laughed loudly. Of course, you're right. No one's saying it was wrong. In fact, the manuscript says the preoccupation was a necessary development, a stage in human evolution now however we've spent enough time settling into the world it's time now to wake up from the preoccupation and reconsider our original question what's life? what's behind life on this planet why are we really here so this is the one question or the two questions the our original question that we should be answering what's behind life on this planet and why are we really here And I would like to know if you could let me know. um, Do you think that we would actually be able to find the answer to that question? Because everybody talks about how long that question is being asked. It's not a new question. It's not a new concept. Um, People for thousands of years have asked that question in one way or the other. So is moving through life moving toward an answer to that question or is it more important for us to sync up our way of thinking and then try to answer that question which I think we're not doing I think we're focusing more on trying to answer the question whereas becoming part of uh, an agreed mindset probably will be able to help help find out what that answer is So our heroes (laughs) our heroes when we met them last land in Peru so I'm gonna stop right there um, and probably pick up next time on page 30 because there's still a little bit more about this um, insight that they mention in the rest of that chapter so yeah thank you very much for joining me Have a great one.